Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. I have the awesome privilege of tag-teaming our first installment in the God on Film series with an amazing couple. They are no strangers to you. They are no strangers to City Church. Uh, They are effective communicators of the uh, word, uh, ministers of the gospel, and uh, man, I'm just honored uh, to do this, our very first message in the God on Film series with my friends, your friends, Dexter and Andrea Jackson. Why don't you show your love? Give them a rowdy... Loud and proud City Church welcome as we launch, as we kick off God on Film. We're honored to have you. And uh, I think your T-shirts are a dead giveaway. It tell us what we're going to be talking about uh, and uh, this morning. Uh, any MCU fans, Marvel Cinematic Universe, MCU fans, let's just read the room. You guys are fans of the franchise. Uh, we're going to kick off this series uh, with the most recent installment in the MCU universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that is Avengers Endgame. Uh, we've, got, we've got a few fans. Uh, the rest of you are like, huh? Uh, hopefully we'll give you enough context and background to help you appreciate it. And, and, and I, I feel your pain because I kind of stumbled into the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, because I have a nine-year-old Levi. And a few years ago, he wanted to see Guardians of the Galaxy. And so we went to see Guardians of the Galaxy. I said, oh, man, this is a great movie. And then the sequel came out and we went to see the sequel. And then Ant-Man came out and we went to see Ant-Man. I said, man, I really like Ant-Man. And then one day I was bored and I didn't have anything else to watch. And I was looking at new releases on Netflix and they had Doctor Strange. And I said, let me watch Doctor Strange. What I didn't realize was I was being sucked into the vortex of the MCU. (laughs) Had no idea that all these movies were connected. And all of a sudden, here I am, uh, and I'm trying to backtrack and catch up with all the movies I missed, right? So, so Levi and I uh, went to see Infinity War last summer. Was it last summer? Two summers? Last summer? It's like, man, this is good. I got sucked in, man. Uh, so I still got to play some catching up, but then, but then Endgame came out, and there were people who were buying uh, tickets weeks in advance, I'm like, no, I don't want to mess with the crowds. I'm going to wait until that settles down, and then I'll go see it. And we went and saw Endgame. And so that's where we're going to uh, sort of kick off our sermon series. And, uh, and Andrea and Dexter are fans of the franchise. They are uh, MCU researchers and geeks, and they're going to help us understand and give context to what Endgame is all about, but we're also going to communicate deeply profound spiritual truths that I believe will encourage you today. Amen? Let's pray before we dive into the word together. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, and Father, we thank you for the riches uh, that are found in your word, the treasures, the spiritual treasures that are found in your word. Help us now by your spirit, uh, Father, to unearth them. Uh, Father, we ask for insight, and we ask for your wisdom as we approach your word, and we do so with reverence. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. We ask that you instruct us this morning, uh, open our hearts and our minds to receive all that you desire to speak to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, so Dexter and Andrea, I reached out to you guys and told you we were doing this brand new series, God on Film, and I gave you a number of options. And I asked them the simple question, uh, what are some movies that you and Dexter enjoy 
together, right? There was a list that you guys enjoy individually, but there was a list that you guys enjoy together. Before we get to Avengers Endgame, uh, uh, bring us up to speed on what that short list is. Movies you guys enjoy watching together. The first movie that we watched together, and she didn't realize that I enjoyed it, was still Magnolia's. And oh, I heard it all. Hey, no. how many of you realize that City Church men have a tender side? Come on, somebody. Tender warriors. So that's our favorite movie together. There's another? Oh, God, what's going on? Um, the other two were anything Marvel, of course. We loved and enjoyed that together. And then the other one you guys probably have not seen. Um, it came out, I think, in the early 90s. It's like an indie kind of dark comedy called 1114. And... We were sitting there watching it, and at first I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch this. And as we're watching, I'm like, best movie ever. It has nothing. It Don't go see it. But it was, <laughs> it was a good Disclaimer. movie. It was something that we enjoyed together. So those are our three, top three in terms of favorite movies. All right, fantastic. So tell us about Endgame. We landed on Endgame, and you guys wanted to take some time and, and help us uh, kind of uh, extract some uh, uh, spiritual truths. Uh, from this very creative movie, uh, blockbuster by all accounts, uh, one of the highest grossing movies ever. I think it's creeping up on Titanic and Avatar. I think Avatar. I'm not sure if it's surpassed, but I, I know it's creeping up on it. But you guys picked Endgame as a good place to start. Uh, tell us why. Well, we chose Endgame because that, to kick off the series, we really wanted something impactful and powerful that was relevant and, and just current, so we can just have a great kickoff to the series for one. We chose Endgame because we did find some, we, we found many themes, many themes um, in Endgame, but we had to pare it down because we're not allowed 10 closings. <laughs> that is exclusive pastoral privilege. <laughs> Guest speakers get one, one close in Jesus' name. Amen. No, fantastic. Uh, our anchor text, our anchor text for this morning is lifted from Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46, uh, verses 9 and 10, that will help us frame our conversation this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 46. I'm sorry, verses 9 and 10. Uh, I'll read from the New Living Translation. And these are the words of God through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, remember the things I have done in the past. Yeah. That's a good place to start. If you ever find your place, you find yourself in an uncertain place. Just simply remember what God has done in the past. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it then, he can certainly do it now. So he's speaking to Israel in a time of great uncertainty. And he says, I am as much the God of the present as I am the God of your past. That's for somebody this morning who is in an uncertain place. He says, when your ground gets unstable, when it gets shaky, remember the things I've done in the past. And he goes along and says, for I alone am God. You know what that means? What he was saying to Israel is look to me and look to me alone. Put your hope, put your trust, 
Put your faith and your confidence in me and me alone. And I am guilty as charged. Sometimes when I'm in an uncertain place, I look to the left, I look to the right. And often, often the people we go to first always reveal where we've placed our trust. God says, I know where you at because you turn to everybody but me first. And it reveals where you've put your trust. First person you call is Big Mama. First person you call is your BFF. And we leave God out of the conversation. And God says, listen, 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 because of where you are, remember me and remember what I've done, for I alone am God. I hold this exclusive place in your life and even in the universe. He says, I am God and there is none like me. Notice the language begins to change. He's saying, I've... I've been the God of your past, but notice what he says in verse 10. He says, only I can tell you the future. He said, I'm God of your past, but only I can tell you what's ahead of you. Nobody else can do that for you because I dwell. In fact, God does not even dwell in time and space. He dwells in eternity. He said, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Now, we're going to get to you in a second. Sorry. I just got excited on that first verse. Let me tell you why. In fact, in the New King James, this is what it says. He says, the reason I can tell you the future is because I declare the end. From the beginning. God says the reason I can tell you how this all is going to end up. The reason I can declare the end game to you now. Is because I am going to declare it. And whatsoever I declare will come to pass. Meaning if God said it. I don't have to be uncertain about what the end is going to be. He declared the future. The end from the beginning. Therefore it must come to pass. The God we serve exists not only in our past. He's not only Lord over our present, but he has already declared. He has already declared the end game. Do you hear that? And that's why he says, I alone am God. Trust me because I hold your world in my hand. Not just your past. Not just your present but even your future. Now, uh, Dexter and Andrea, get ready because I'm going to throw the pass to you. Uh, just so we understand what we're talking about, we're talking about end game, right? Yes. This, is, this is a working definition for end game. When you hear that language, when you see it on the screen, what are the producers of Marvel talking about when they talk about end game? The end game, this is in chess. Any, any chess players? Any chess players? Yeah, yeah. I, I knew we were going to have one or two hands. Check this out. Uh, here's why. Up north, they're pretty sophisticated, so they play chess. Down south, we play checkers. Right? Exactly. So we got two chess players, but in chess, which is where the word or the phrase endgame is derived, it means the final stage of a game, usually following the exchange of queens 
and the reduction of forces. So it's kind of like the winding down of the chess game after you have exchanged queens and the serious reduction of forces. It also means the late or final stages of any activity. It's like the fourth quarter. It's like that two-minute warning. That's when the end game kicks in. And we start to think, wow, man, time's running out. Time's winding down. Do I have a plan for this stage of the game? And that's where most of us freak out. We prepare for every scenario except the clutch moments. And God says, I want to be sovereign over the clutch moments of your life. Anybody ever play sports? Here, a few of you. There, there, there are a few people in sports who live for clutch moments. There are certain people at the end of the game, you want them to have the ball. In fact, I was at the barbershop the other day, and there was a guy who was doing a sports uh, uh, thing, a sports podcast, and he came in, and he was interviewing all these guys, and he said he was asking questions about the best clutch three-point shooters ever. And he had a long list. He had Ray Allen. He had, you know, uh, uh, Reggie Miller. Wow, y'all know y'all sports, man. The ladies, man. The one person that wasn't on that list, you know who it was, that I would have put on that list? Robert Ory. Robert Ory won major, not just games, but series from his clutch shooting. Now you got some other people in life, and I don't know if you ever played ball with them, who did not want the ball in clutch situation. Yeah, y'all ain't going to put this on me. (laughs) You take the shot. Y'all remember them? Was you one of them? No. But that's what endgame is. In the final moments of any activity, what is your strategy? In business, here's the third definition. In business, the end game is the ultimate agenda. Listen to this. The ultimate agenda or desired consequence of a planned series of events that are often elaborate and unknown to outsiders. Let me read that again. The end game is the ultimate agenda. It's the, it's the overarching plan or the desired consequence of a planned series of events. Often elaborate. That means they're detailed, meticulous, but they're unknown to outsiders. And sometimes, isn't God like that with us? God has this detailed, meticulous plan, but we have no idea what he's up to. And we have to walk it out one step at a time by faith. That's what God's end game looks like. God has an ultimate agenda. And he said, I declared my agenda from, for your life at the beginning, even before one day ever came to pass. And I think the cool thing about what you guys are going to share about Avengers Endgame is the fact that these guys are functioning in all these different realms, right? Past, present, even future. Take it away. What are your takeaways? Uh, what, let's say, what's the first takeaway from Avengers Endgame? I think the biggest thing that we saw initially was in the beginning of the movie, um, what happens when life happens? So any of you that have seen the movie know how Infinity War ended and basically Thanos, who was the villain, um, destroyed half the universe and half the universe disappeared. Um, and so this movie, Endgame, opens with our superheroes and how they navigate that. 
And I just saw all of the different ways that we navigate life. Um, Captain America was the wholesome guy. He's the one, he was actually navigating it in a good way. He's going to self-help groups and leading them and trying to have people talk through their grief. Um, he's checking on his strong friends, one in which was Natasha or the Black Widow. And she's struggling with guilt and helplessness. You know, I couldn't do it. Um, there is um, Captain or Iron Man, my favorite person, who almost died. And he comes back and he's angry. I told you guys something was going to happen. And, you know, it's too late to do anything now. What I told you would happen, happened. I'm done with y'all. Um, there's Thor. <laughs> it was, if you saw it, it was comical. Thor is buff and muscular and attractive. And this Thor was um, drunk and obese and hiding in a cottage someplace. He was not the mighty god of thunder that we knew. Um, and so, you know, he was struggling with fear, fear of Thanos, because I think he really was afraid. And also the fact that he had failed. Um, he was the one that should have ended it per se, and at the end of Infinity War, he had the opportunity, but didn't chop his head off. That's kind of graphic, but um, that's what happened. So he's like, I missed that opportunity. So just so many different ways. There's another character, Clint Hawkeye, who um, his whole family is gone, and he goes on a rampage, and he's like, how dare half the universe be destroyed, but it was random, and some good guys stayed, but some bad guys did too. And so he went on a rampage and decided he was going to take matters into his own hands and destroyed the bad guys. Wow. Let, let's talk about that for a second, mm -hmm. because I love that first point, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you're watching the movie, and it opens where half of the, the world has been destroyed, and the first thing that comes to mind is what happens when life happens. Uh, how many of you realize that life happens to us all? Yes. And it all, often happens without warning. And it often comes to interrupt and to disrupt the ordinary affairs of life. So what happens when life becomes disruptive? What should our Christ-like response be? Mike Tyson said it this way, everybody's got a plan until they get hit. And that is true not only in the boxing ring, but it's also true in life. We have all of our plans. And then all of a sudden, our plans are disrupted. And that's what you saw when you saw that movie. Help us navigate that. When life happens, what should our Christ-like response be? For me, the immediate thought was Job. Um, Job had, he was wealthy. He had a wife. He had, I think, 10 children, seven sons, three daughters. He had thousands of animals, cattle, sheep, oxen. Um, and bit by bit, it was all taken away. And if you look at the very end of Job chapter 1, his response is um, in verse one, or chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and mm. naked shall I return there. Mm. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Mm. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm. In a perfect world, mm. That would be the Christ-like response. Mm. That doesn't always happen. Mm. I know from my, from my experience, I have not been as gracious mm. um, and faith-filled and worshipful as Job was. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. So learning to let go, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a second lesson. This is a tough lesson uh, from Job. The scripture says, that, and most of us miss this because we, I mean, Job is like 42 chapters, I think. Yes. We, we, most of us don't get to the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, but, yeah, it's a lot of moaning and groaning and 
we don't get to chapter 42, but in chapter 42, this is what the scripture says. And Job prayed for his friends. Anybody remember the next thing that happened? You want to read that for us? Yes. So, so, so hold on a second. Uh, this guy's life has been interrupted. He's lost everything. His body is covered in boils. Yes. And he still has the audacity and the fortitude to pray for his friends who are in a much better condition than he. When life happens, how many of us are willing to take our eyes off our problems long enough to pray for somebody who's doing better than us? Instead of becoming resentful that their life is perfect and my life is falling apart. So, 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 so just read that for us, please, if you don't mind. If, if I can also just add, these were friends who came to him to tell him everything that they thought he had done wrong. Exactly. And including his wife, curse God and die. Yeah. Just be done with it. And so it starts in chapter 42, beginning with verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. But, 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 but. Y'all hear that verse? When did God restore everything that Job lost? When he prayed for his friends. When he prayed for his friends, God restored everything that Job lost. Keep going. I'm sorry. I got excited. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Come on. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before him came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Wow. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the first the name of the, he called the, name of the first Jemima the name of the second, Keziah, the name of the third, Karen Hapak. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Come on. And this, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. Come on. So Job died old and full of days. Come on, somebody. Is it possible for God to restore everything that was lost? That you can experience more of God after the fact than you experienced before the storm? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is just a small example of what our response should be when life happens. So good. So good. Dexter, did you want to chime in? What I really, um, and, and it's not really a whole lot that I want to say, but it's just looking at the end of Job, mm -hmm. that's the end game. Job, Job didn't know that. Right. Job didn't know that going in, but what he did was stay before the Lord. That's so good. So it's just staying before the Lord. We don't know what the end game was. Even when you talked about Isaiah, mm. he knows the end. Yeah. Sometimes we want to jump in and say, hey, hey, God, um, can I get a peek on the end? What's right. The, what's the end like? And all God is saying sometimes is just do this one little thing. Wow. You've done that. Now do this little thing. Eventually we will... Look back and see the series of little steps, little things we've done once we reach the end game. That's good. That's so good. Fantastic. All right. So um, I'm listening to you. What? Uh, what? Uh, are you still in this uh, first first point? Yes. Maybe just one more example. This mm -hmm. one wasn't quite the healthy response of Job, but 
um, I thought about Elisha and the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4, mm-hmm. um, verses 8 through 37. To make the sh- long story short, she was a, a wealthy woman. She and her husband, Elisha, used to come to Shunam, and they would prepare a meal for him. And mm-hmm. then she said, why don't we just play, make a place for him to stay? And so they created a room for him, and, you know, he and his servant asked her, what do you need? And I, don't, I have everything I need. Mm-hmm. Gehazi, his servant, said she doesn't have a son. And she's like, look, don't get my hopes up. I'm good. Mm. I'm good. And so he says, nope, this time next year you'll have a son. She has a son. The son grows and gets a little older. He's in the field with his dad, starts to get a terrible headache. He says, my head hurts. Um, And they send him back in. He goes to his mom and dies. Mm. She's like, look, get me a a camel or a donkey. And she goes to travel to, to, to find Elisha. And she, along the way, it is well. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And typically that's me, even though I'm not good. I'm good. Mm. I'm good. And then she gets there, and the servant goes before or comes and, hey, what's going on? I'm good. I just need to see Elisha. She gets to him, falls down at his feet, and she's like, did I ask you for this? Come on. Did I ask you for a son? Come on, work did that I thing. Did I ask you to get my hopes up? And side note, little bitty peek into Andrea's mind. If you guys have seen the color purple, every time I read this, Come on. I see Celia at the table. Did I ever ask you for anything? <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> that thing every time. Just a little side anything? note. I didn't even ask for your sorry hand in marriage. That's what she told him. Come that's on, in somebody. The movie. That's not me. No, that's so, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I saw and I felt her passion, but that's the image that came before me. I yeah. didn't ask you for this. Mm. I didn't mm. ask you to get my hopes up. I and look what happened. Wow. Wow. And so oftentimes, that is our response. I know it's been mine. God, I didn't ask for this. Wow, wow. God, I didn't dare to dream that you could do the things that you did, and then you did, and this is what happened? Mm. Struggling with the anger, struggling with the frustration, struggling even with, as for me, a Christ follower, being guilty because I was mad at God. Yeah. But this is what happened. Now, the end result is Elisha went, and he laid on the boy, and he prayed, and he Eye to eye, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, got up, walked, prayed, laid on him again, and the boy did come back to life. But mm. that was to me just a picture of when life happens. Yeah. And for me, it's actually a comfort that it's in the Bible. Mm. When That's I good. struggle with these things, yeah. I'm not alone. Yeah. yeah. I'm not alone. That's but good. I am still moving toward, pressing toward the Job response. No, that's good. How many of y'all have ever expressed your disappointment with God to God? Yeah, man. That's a good place to be. And sometimes we hold that in. We think, oh, well, I can't say that. I can't pray that. No, 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 no. That's one of the healthiest things you can do is express what you feel as disappointment with God to him. And that's when the healing begins. Even Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the son of God in the middle of the will of God, expressing, I don't know if it was disappointment, frustration, his questions. God, why have you forsaken me? And most of us have been taught that we ought to pray these polite, I have prayed the most, anyway, I'm not going to tell you about my prayer life. But I'm telling you, when when I get up off the floor, man, there's always a healing that God does in my heart. Y'all remember when I told y'all about empty? Yes. Yeah. That was one of those times when I expressed my disappointment to God. And when I got up off the floor. Y'all remember that? Anybody remember that when I told y'all at Easter? And I said, God, I'm empty. 
And God says, I got you right where I want you. Because the only people that walk away from me empty are those who come to me full of themselves. When you bring your disappointment to God, he will speak healing and life to you. So it's okay when life happens to express your disappointment with God, with people, with whatever. And God, from that place of brokenness, God will do the work of healing in those broken places. In those broken places. Y'all didn't know all of this was in Avenger Endgame, did you? <laughs> we just getting started. We just getting started. All right, go ahead, uh, Andrea Dexter. There, no, okay, this is the second point. Okay, so the first point uh, from the movie is what happens when life happens. And we're, we're learning from Job and we're learning from the example of the Shunammite woman. But there's a second point, something you took away when you watched the movie, spiritual principles that we can share this morning. It's a spiritual principle, but it's also something that um, City Church knows really well because Pastor Ray actually preached this from the pulpit. Um, Better together. Better together. So I tried to find my notes on Better Together and re-preach Pastor Ray, but I couldn't find them, so (laughs) I will have to share what the Holy Spirit has given me. Mm. But Better Together and the end game, everybody was needed. One could not be excluded that was present. They weren't all assembled at the same time, but they eventually all came together. If you excluded one, it would not have happened. And for those who haven't seen it, there were many chances for, there's many failures, let's put it this way. Because the first attempt was, hey, let's just find Thanos and we're going to go to this planet and we're, gonna get the, we're just going to get the Infinity Stones from him and we're going to just snap our fingers while they get to the planet, chop his head off. He's already destroyed the stones, though. So now the stones are gone. So what do we do now? With all the plans they have to do, they eventually had to go back in time and get the stones. But the only way they're going to go back in time and get the stones is they needed everybody to step up and do their part. Nobody could be excluded. They, they tried a time machine but one person was missing that could actually make it work better together, and that was Tony Stark. They had a time machine, but it wasn't the right time machine. Better together to get to the end game. And even at the end game final battle, then you see everybody coming in. It couldn't be, they would have lost that battle if it wasn't everybody being better together. So good. So let's talk about that now, better together, because a lot of times uh, we, we're afraid of difference. People who think differently than we do, people who respond differently than we do, people who look different than we do. But we see from Avengers Endgame that the secret sauce was the fact that they celebrated their differences, that they could not have accomplished what they accomplished if everybody was the same. If everybody had the same skill, if everybody had the same ability, at some point they had to say, you know what? I need what you got. Tell us about that a little bit. So one of the oddest characters, is I don't know his, his screen name, but it's Raccoon. So you, you see this Raccoon coming at you, or you see Nebula, who's this blue android-looking person, so that's so many differences. Mm. Um, you see Hulk, who's kind of Hulk, but, <laughs> right. but not kind of Hulk, but in, in just different personalities. Mm. But everybody needs to come together. Um, and we think about that even in city church. I mean, you just look mm. amongst ourselves. 
We, we, we have executives in the room. We have CEOs in the room. We have independent business owners in the room. We have people that, make, um, that work a wage job. We have students in the room. We have people that may be unemployed. We even have people with so many different issues that are, are, we're struggling with things, per se, whatever that thing is. Um, but we're one body. That's good. And we get there together what the end game is. And our end game is to serve, um, serve our... Love God, love people, and serve our city and serve our world. We do that together. That is our end game. That is our end game. So good. Give us, give us, give us, give us Bible for that. Because again, I, I want to make sure that as we do this, that we're 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 everything we do is is Christ centered, but also supported with Scripture. Because we want to communicate these spiritual truths, but we're using a movie to help us see it and understand it, grasp it a little bit better. Absolutely, so there were 12 spies that were to go scout the land, and they did. And I asked myself, why, and, and this, why couldn't Caleb and Joshua, I always wanna say Jacob for some reason, why couldn't Caleb and Joshua go by themselves and come back with a good report and then tell everybody else? But we needed everybody to be on board to go out. So the 12 went out, and then they came back. And the report was, two, we can do this. Mm. Ten, hey, it's great, but we can't do this. Mm. Together, they did not enter the land because they were not all in unity. They were not on the same mindset. So they did not all get in, but a new generation was brought up, and they were together in the mindset, and they were able to go in. No, very good. Uh, I, I think of this, and, and this is in your notes as well, but 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul uses the analogy of the church being a body. Everybody in this room has a body. Whether you like it or not, you have a body. God is the master designer, and he designed our body to function in a certain way. But every part of your body has a purpose. So notice what 1 Corinthians 12, let's, let me, let's just read verses 14 through 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 27. Can you put that on the screen uh, quickly in the New Living Translation? Because this speaks to the point of being better together. How many of you realize a, a lot of times we fear what we don't understand? And when something is different than what we're familiar with, our first response is to, is to push back against it. From the movie, we learned that they were able to celebrate their differences. Even though they had different abilities and different powers and had different histories and different backgrounds, they came together for a common cause. Uh, notice what 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, beginning at verse 14. I'm going to read a lot of verses. Uh, but it says, for the body is not one member, but many. I'll just read it from my Bible. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Think about that for a second. If your foot said, I'm not a hand, and because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, will it stop being a part of the body? The first thing Paul begins to address is the comparison complex. 
The reason most people feel inadequate is because they're unhappy with what God created them to be. God said, I created you a foot. He said, no, I don't want to be a foot. I want to be a hand. And so we feel inadequate because we have this comparison complex. And God said, you can be a foot. He said, no, I want to be a hand. But why do you want to be a hand? Are y'all with me? And then it goes on, it goes on, and he reiterates this in verse 6. And it says, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, for those of us who insist on everybody being just the way we are, for those of us who say, because I'm an eye, you better be an eye. Can you imagine if one, in one second God changed your whole body to just one old big eye? Are y'all with me? I mean, it's laughable, but that's, that's what we want. I'm the spouse. I'm the husband, and I, I'm married to Wendy, and I want Wendy to be just like me. And I want my children to be just like me. In fact, I want my two children to be identical, even though Wendy, I mean, Nia's a girl, and Levi's a boy. Well, why don't you do it like Levi? Well, why don't you do it like Nia? And God's saying, I made one a foot, I made one an eye, I made one an ear. And the problem is, instead of celebrating your uniqueness, you're pushing back against your differences. And the only way you're going to beat the bad guy, Thanos, is if all these people with all their differences figure out a way to get along. Look at the 12 people Jesus called. For those of you in HR, y'all would have said, well, look, you got a guy who was stealing money. You had a guy who had a temper problem and even cussed Jesus the third time and denied him. You had a guy who was a doubter. I could go through the whole list. You had a guy who was a tax collector. You got a guy who, Simon the Zealot, who was a political radical, who was an activist, and he put him together with a tax collector, meaning the tax collector, collector hated the political activist because the political activist was pro-Israel, and this guy was taking the money of the Israelites and giving it to the Romans. And Jesus said, y'all figure out a way to get along. Tax collector and zealot. Both of y'all going to be on my team, and y'all going to learn to celebrate your differences. And part of the problem why we're not effective is we want for everybody to look, talk, walk just like us. Uh, 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 let me jump down to verse, uh, verse 21. Listen to me, listen to me. Listen to me. So that's the first thing you do, the comparison complex. The next thing he jumps, deals with is verse 21. He said, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. For those of us in the body who are fiercely independent, I don't need nobody. Are you sure? Are you sure that just because you can see it, that you don't need anybody? Are you really sure that God placed you on the earth to be an island unto yourself? Are you sure about that? Because Paul says that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. That means Iron Man can't say to the Hulk, I don't need you. In fact, the guy who figured out how to solve the whole problem was Ant-Man. Ant-Man, 
Who would have thought that God would have given the solution to a complex problem to little old Ant-Man? And do you realize that sometimes God's solution is entrusted to the people we despise? While you're waving them off, that's Ant-Man, that's Wasp. God might just say, I'm going to put the solution in them. So that it will force you to humble your proud self. Your proud, big, bad self. Because if this thing is going to change, all of a sudden now, you got to deal with Ant-Man who ain't nothing. The eye cannot say to the hand. In the church, he's speaking to the body of Christ. He said, you and I, and you can't say, I don't need the hand. Nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. There are really people that arrogant sitting in this room right now, who may, not, who may not say it out their mouth, but they think it. I don't need them. I don't need you. Are you sure that you're a part of the body? And here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. When one part of the body ain't acting right, the whole body got to compensate for their foolishness. That's why when somebody is blind, their hearing, their ability to hear is elevated. Because now they got to compensate for what the eye ain't doing. Every guy got to compensate for your toxicity. You don't want to be a part of the body. I don't need them. So now everybody else got to pull your weight. Because the body's still going to... Uh, newsflash! The body will continue to function without you. It will. It will. Like my wife said, one monkey don't stop the show. The body will continue to function without you. The ears will start to hear better. Your sense of spatial awareness will increase because you can't see it. But the body will go on without you. That's my two cents. Okay, sorry. Did you have more to add to point number two? Y'all see how how I told told it down? Okay. We are better together. And that's why, that's why the mantra of the Avengers is Avengers Assemble. Now, Captain America got three movies. Ant-Man got two. Guardians of the Galaxy got two, got three, uh, or about to have three. But when it came to fighting Thanos, all of them had to come together. I know you're great and you're big and bad all by yourself. But there is an adversary and there's an enemy out there that you cannot defeat alone. I don't care how big and bad you are. You're going to need help. And sometimes that help is going to come from the most unlikely of places like Ant-Man. Okay. I defer to you. So the third biggest theme that we saw in the movie was um, answering the call to something higher than ourselves. Um, When they went back in time, Tony Stark actually ran into his father um, and um, they had a brief conversation. Um, And throughout the the theme of the movie, um, Tony's whole thing was um, bring back what we lost. So bring everybody back, but keep what we have. Because in that five year gap where everyone had, or half of the universe had disappeared, Tony had gotten married, he he had had a daughter. So he had something vested in things remaining the way they were. Mm. Um, and he was, it's almost like watching him 
fight that struggle between I know what I need to do, right. but what I need to do may cause me to lose something I've gained. Somebody say self-preservation. Exactly. Uh, and so then when they uh, were talking, he and his father were talking, um, his father just shared a bit of advice, and he said the greater good had rarely outweighed his own self-interest. He was kind of grappling with becoming a parent because when they met, it was right before Tony was about to be born in that time when he went back to. Man, but, oh, sorry, go, go finish, finish your thought. Finish no, your so thought. just he was, he was struggling with, okay, I'm about to have this child. I'm responsible for someone other than myself, but I've pretty much lived a very self, uh, selfish life. Yeah. It's, all, it's always been about what I needed, what I wanted, my self-interest, what can I get out of it? And so now he's looking at the bigger picture, the greater good, and trying to balance that. Man, that's loaded. That is loaded. You know why most of us don't, don't step out in faith? Can I, can I just say that, that, that let me, let me, how, do I, how do I, how do I, how do I say this? Um, I've been looking at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 quite a bit. I'll talk, I'll talk about it one of these days when the Lord releases. But one of, the, one of the interesting things about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is that, is that Jesus used the person who needed the miracle the least to perform the miracle for those who needed it the most. Listen to me. That little boy had his lunch. Tony Stark is saying, man, I got my family. I'm good. Half of these people gone. Why should I even bother? Yet sometimes God will call us and compel us out of our comfort zone, even when it threatens the order of things. And that's why most of us never attempt anything for God. Because like, man, I'm good. And that's why when I look at social media, everything is so self-centered. Boo, do you? Do you? This, this, this. Everything is self, it's so self-centered that nobody is willing to risk their comfort to make a difference for everybody else. And that's why what Tony Stark was saying or thinking, you said he was wrestling with that. Listen to what his dad said. What does dad say? Listen to, he said, the greater good has rarely outweighed my own self-interest. You know what that means? If you put the greater good here and you put Tony Stark's self-interest here, his self-interest always outweighs the greater good. And that's where most of us live. The first thing we think about is our self-interest instead of the greater good. How is this going to help and impact everybody else if I take this risk and my ordinary life is disrupted for a little bit? We're not willing to do that. And that little boy was good. He had his Lunchable. He didn't need to share with anybody. And that little boy, I'm sure was thinking, here's my little Lunchable. I can eat this and sit here and listen to Jesus for another five hours. And I'm good. What difference is this little lunch going to make for these 5,000 men not counting the women and children? He could have said, man, it's a waste of time. I'm just going to eat this. But the greater good, the greater good was to take his lunch and place it in the hands of the disciples who put it in the hands of Jesus, 
who multiplied it so that everyone was fed. Jesus used the person who needed the miracle the least to do what needed to be done for those who needed it most. And most of us are more like Howard Stark. Man, I'm never going to let the greater good outweigh my personal interests. It's all about us, so self-centered, so self-absorbed. Won't even take a moment and say, God, I know this isn't the best time, but God, if you want me, use me. But if the conditions aren't perfect, won't lift a finger. Oh, is that a good time? Oh, da 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 Yet God is counting on you to be Ant-Man. Are y'all listening to me? He's counting on you to be Ant-Man. But all we're concerned about is our own self-interest. Can I just read this real quick? You can put it on the screen. It's not in the notes. Philippians chapter 2. And this is where we're going to close. While they turn into that, y'all say something about what, while we turn into that. Y'all say something, and then we'll let y'all go. Yes, so in essence, Tony, he kind of struggled with that all the way up to the very end. At the end of Infinity War, Dr. Strange had kind of gone through all of the scenarios, billions of scenarios, and there was only one scenario that would work in their favor where they would defeat Thanos. And so as they are about to embark upon this great battle, Tony looks at him, he's like, is this the one? And what what was the response? The response was basically, hey, I can't tell you because if I tell you, then it won't happen or you won't. So he even he couldn't tell him, and so then you finally see Tony settle into, okay, I'm just going to give it all I got. Come on. And giving it all he, he, he had really meant dying. At the very end, he sacrificed his life so that we could bring back everybody else, but also so that his wife and his daughter could live. Y'all hear that? Listen, listen, this guy, this, listen to me, this guy took a risk. Yeah, we should have said spoiler alert. Yeah, I see some activity going. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, it's been out for how many months? Yeah. If you ain't seen it, that ain't on me. Just know I cried both times. <laughs> both times. Big tears. Oh, yeah. Right. So, yeah, you can start, you can start the, the music. So, no, powerful, powerful. So this guy was willing to take a risk for the greater good without any guarantees. Dr. Strange said, I, don't know, I know how this thing's going to turn out, but I can't tell you. Listen to me. Listen to me. This guy took a risk, not even knowing what the outcome would be. That cost him his life. And most of us are so concerned about self-preservation, we won't make a move unless it's on our terms. Look, Dr. Strange, I ain't going to do this unless you tell me the outcome. And that's where most of us live. Here, here, here's, uh, say that thing you say about advice. Is it advice is what we wish, or advice is what we ask for when we, when we already know the answer but wish we didn't? Advice is what we ask for when we already know the answer but wish we didn't. And so most of us end up listening to Howard Stark, right? We listen, this is why we listen to Howard Stark, because Howard Stark will make us feel good about yourself. Oh, man, that's, that's going against your self-interest. That greater good business, don't even listen to that, man. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. And we keep going to Howard Stark. And we keep going to Howard. And Howard Stark continues to affirm our selfishness and self-preservation. That's what people do. They come to me and Wendy all the time for advice and counsel. 
And after the first meeting, they never come back. <laughs> because they don't want to hear about the greater good. So this is where we close. Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I'm reading from the New King James. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. So Paul is sending Timothy uh, to the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, because he wants to get a status report. He wants to get an update to see how they're doing. But notice verse 20, because he tells us why he could only send Timothy. He tells us why Timothy is now Tony Stark. He tells us why Timothy is concerned about the greater good. He said, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. He said, all these jokers that follow me in mind, I really can't send anybody except Timothy. You know why? Because Timothy will genuinely and naturally care for your state. I'm going to send this guy because he's going to care for you. He wants to know how you're doing. He ain't worried about him and himself and his, his three and his four and no more. He's coming because he genuinely cares about you and I ain't got nobody else to send. Can you imagine being the Apostle Paul? And say, all these people around me, the only person I can trust is Timothy because he's not self-absorbed, because he's not self-centered. And notice what he says. Notice verse 21. There's a further indictment. He says, for all seek their own. He said, I'm surrounded by a bunch of Howard Starks who are not willing to let the greater good outweigh their self-interest. All, they, the only thing they're concerned about is their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's greater good. He said, but you know his proven character, talking about Timothy, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Three lessons from Avengers Endgame. Three things we can learn. What are they? What happens when life happens? What happens when life happens. I encourage you to do All the notes are on you version with scripture references. I encourage you to go to the notes on you version and read all of those stories and see what those responses were, whether it was Job or Ruth or Elisha and the Shunammite women. We didn't even get to all the examples. I think you had like five examples. And again, Dexter and Andrea are able ministers of the word. Go back to you version and read all those stories so that you will learn how to respond when life happens. Number one. Number two. Better together. Better together. Look at your life. Does everybody in my life look like me, sound like me, talk like me, agree with me? If that's the case, you're missing out on a whole nother side of life. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're missing out on the beauty of life. And number three. Answering the call to something higher than ourselves. Huge. At some point, you got to choose that you are not going to be the center of your world at some point, Jesus is going to be at the center. And if Jesus is at the center of your life, he's going to ask you to do some things that are inconvenient and uncomfortable. But there are people that are waiting on the other side of your obedience, even when it's inconvenient. But can I say this? The show will go on with or without you. Everybody else is just going to have to compensate for the part you're not playing but the body will continue to function without you. But what a waste. 
of time, of talent, of treasure, and all the people that could have been helped through you and what God could have done through you. It is a big, 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 big deal. This is where we're going to close. Kill the lights, and then we'll show that clip, and then we're out of here. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at If you were encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text citychurchtv and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.